Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. My guest today is Catherine Dockery. Catherine runs a venture capital fund called Vice Ventures, uh, and she's someone that I work really closely with all the time. So, Catherine, how's it going? It is going well. You know, I walked outside today, and it was so warm, I took my jacket off. There you go. So we're hopefully, so here's what I am afraid of. So if you look at the next 10 days, it's all like 40s and 50s, which is fine. There's that April 8th down to 27 and some <laughs> snow day that always sort of you know happens. So I'm trying to, I'm hoping we don't get that. But so we're going to talk about vice in the metaverse because it's a topic that while probably no one actually knows anything about, it's, it's fun to speculate. Um, but just to give the audience a little background. So, um, you and I first met, what, when you were raising Vice Ventures and you were working for Andy Dunn at Walmart? Yes, you were actually uh, the fourth person I emailed about Vice Ventures uh, for the first time around. Did the first three of us? Yes, they did, actually. <laughs> okay. So, um, and, and your concept, which, I, as you know, I just kind of loved it from the first minute, um, and I'll, I'll summarize it and you tell me where I got it wrong, is effectively there's a massive opportunity that's left on the table by most venture capital funds because they are afraid to invest in certain sectors, um, either because their LPs won't want it or reputational or whatever else. And therefore, um, if a fund is willing to do that and help those companies grow, you have amazing deal flow and therefore should have really good returns. Is that still the vision? That is 100% the vision. So how has it gone so far? Like what from the first time you and I met, I don't know, four or five years ago to now where you're on your second fund, um, what happened that you expected and what has really surprised you? Um, so what really surprised me about, I guess, founding Vice Ventures and the journey of it uh, was our source of deal flow. We, because of our investment mandate, we don't really work that closely with a lot of funds. I mean, you and I work very closely together because uh, we have a very similar thesis in terms of regulated industries. Um, but I would say uh, just working with founders and realizing that you can get all your deal flow directly from the sources instead of having to work with other funds, I think is definitely one of the biggest learnings for sure of Vice Ventures. And, and do you think that effectively what that really says is you guys are truly differentiated, right? We're truly differentiated. And it seems to me that if you're sort of a mid-sized fund that basically just relies on deal flow from other funds, you probably don't really have any reason to exist, right? <laughs> uh, that's exactly my uh, take on a lot of funds for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think it's like very, very fascinating, especially a lot of funds that don't have a focus. Um, I just mean like, because I would never be able to evaluate Sweetgreen at the Series C and then also look at a cannabis company at the seed stage and feel like I would know enough be, to be able to invest in either yeah, category. Totally. Right. I mean, for us, it's like, okay, the one thing I know I can do is I can assess the regulatory prospects Pretty well. Most sometimes I get it wrong, but generally we can get it right. Um, but yeah, just trying to be all over the place. Like I get it if you're Sequoia or someone you got twenty billion dollars, um, and I get it if you're you guys or us where it's small but very differentiated. But I'm not sure the ones in the middle make it long term. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, I mean, you you know this too. And a lot of venture capital is people are always to try trying to solve problems. Um, but it looks like a lot of the time, the, the problems that people are trying to solve don't really exist. <laughs> right, right. If exactly. you know what I mean. <laughs> totally, totally right. They, they want them to exist because they've raised so much money that they have to deploy that they need things to deploy it into. Um, but oftentimes, right, we're solving a problem that isn't a problem in the first place. Exactly. Um, wh whereas on your end, fundamentally, it's pretty, I mean, how do you define vice, I guess, is the first question. 
Yeah, so th- I mean, that's an excellent question. Um, when it started, we basically thought we would be mostly focused on cannabis, alcohol, nicotine, uh, and sex tech. But since then, uh, we've kind of grown the focus uh, so much so that we actually just led or the round for an energy company, um, which, which was, and when I say energy, I mean uh, a, caffe- a caffeinated business. Got it. So what? So how, in your mind today, compared to say four or five years ago when we first started talking about this, you know, when you're pitching your fund now to new LPs and you define vice, how do you define it to them? Then? Uh, I define, define it as uh, cannabis, alcohol, nicotine, sex tech, ketamine, MDMA, energy, uh, and then we have a big, big category called yet to be known vices. Uh, just because I'm pretty <laughs> aware yeah. that I mean I'm not I'm rarely if ever the smartest person in the room. Um, so because of that, we try to have a very, very open mind about what could be considered advice um, and what we're being pitched. Have you noticed that the people who always say I'm not the smartest person in the room tend to actually be the smartest people in the room, but they like <laughs> to say that? Um, <laughs> I don't know, but I know I'm definitely not the smartest one for sure. <laughs> so so one area where in the kind of TBD category um, that's at least fun to speculate about it, is the metaverse, right? And, and what does Vice look like in the metaverse? And um, I think I sent it to you. I, I put together a memo maybe seven weeks ago or so now that kind of went through how to regulate the metaverse and all the different forms it could take. Um, and thinking about Vice was was really fun within that. So let's start off with when I say metaverse, what pops into your head? Uh, avatars and like a whole a whole another world that's not a physical world. Um, so I kind of think of it, maybe maybe I, this is the wrong way to think about it, but I kind of think about it in terms of playing a game of Sims where you mm-hmm. can kind of yep. uh, move your uh, player, your, your virtual human, uh, if I may say so myself. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can kind of like decide what they want to do. And in terms of the metaverse, I mean, like, it's just so early in my opinion, right? Like they're still working on the visuals. And for Vice, a lot of it is just so physical that I'm, I'm captivated, I'm fascinated about what that's going to look like and how that's going to shape up. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that, you know, Vice has unbelievable potential in the metaverse, both for good and for bad, but yeah. um, be, because it is so physical. So like, for example, and this was a thought that ran through my head when I then emailed you and said, hey, can you come on the podcast, is you could see the metaverse either being... Um, the savior of marriage monogamy, big picture, or the death of it, right? <laughs> so the, he, I'll, let me lay out the argument and you, you tell me what you think, which is um, we have this in our culture, uh, monogamy is sort of the expectation, and yet it's hard for human beings to do because it sort of goes against most of our instincts, right? And so it's a struggle for people. Um, you could say that if people are on the metaverse and able to more physically interact with each other, um, and more able to sort of connect than they can on sort of typical internet right now, perhaps they kind of scratch that itch without actually cheating on their spouse. Or you could say it'll be even easier to meet other people on the metaverse and it will just lead to a rash of people leaving their spouses and their marriages for other people. Uh, how does it strike you? Yeah. So I guess the first thing that comes to mind is fantasy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think the metaverse will be able to provide couples or single people with the experience of whatever their fantasy is that they feel uncomfortable doing with their partner. Yep. So in that sense, I feel like it could be very healthy um, in, in, ter- in terms of a romantic love life in the metaverse. Uh, but that being said, I mean, you're, you're also brought up a great point that it could be considered cheating, right? So like 
I, I would say it's probably comes down to uh, someone's porn habits, right? Like how comfortable they are using porn if they're married or they're in a committed relationship um, and kind of like what that relationship looks like for the person. Yeah. I mean, I feel like now that we're 25 years into the internet, there's sort of an acceptance of at least basic internet porn, right? There are obviously things that, that are inappropriate or some people find inappropriate, but it's, it seems like we've, I mean, it seems like we've crossed that, that threshold to me at least. Yeah, I think we have crossed that threshold for sure. Um, but I mean, if I've learned anything from running a venture capital firm it is that I am surprised every single day <laughs> by, <laughs> by, uh, by lots of things. Um, but specifically in terms of like what I think could situations that could play out in, uh, I find myself being more wrong than I am right. What, what's the thing that sort of you feel like you got most wrong and what's the thing that you kind of were pleasantly surprised by? Yeah. So I think what I was most wrong with, um, is I didn't invest in a cannabis beverage, which is like off topic from the metaverse, but I didn't invest in this, uh, cannabis beverage early on um and it's because we were looking at recess which yeah. uh we were very as you know we were very very early in yeah. um and at the time i thought it could have been competitive and i didn't really know how to define what competition would be between portfolio companies uh so i passed and i kick myself every single time i see the company in a headline that they have raised a 10 million dollars at a ridiculous valuation and like i'm right. constantly like no <laughs> Yeah, but that's Why? but look, you it, it wasn't that you didn't see it, it was that you were trying to make an ethical decision that maybe you didn't need to make, right? I, th- I think the con, especially I, I imagine you have the same challenges that we do is when you first start out with venture capital, defining conflict is harder, um, than, than as you gain more experience in it. Yeah, um, so totally. it's you know, it's like you at least pass for, for it's not because you didn't see it, it's just because you were worried about the conflict. Um, with recess, what what was the biggest pleasant surprise where you're like, I invested in this thing and I kind of wasn't super optimistic when A, B, and C happened, but then they really turned it around? Yeah, a great, great question. We led the round for a company called Green Run uh, in, Dece- in early January, uh, which I believe we're co-invested on that one. Yeah, I, I, ha- I have a call with Nate today. Oh, amazing. I love yeah. Nate. Um, yeah, so we, we led that round at the time. It was supposed to be a sports betting business strictly in Brazil. They had ambitions to move into other uh, countries within LATAM, but it didn't look like it was going to be a reality whatsoever. Um, and after the round closed, I swear to you, like two, two and a half weeks later, uh, they were guaranteed to get the last gambling license ever in Mexico, in the country of Mexico. And the valuation just shot up significantly. Yeah, and yeah. The, uh, the Brazilian government is actually using that management team as an example of why they should uh, legalize sports betting in the country. So we invested and it, it was kind of like a really big question mark, although I had a feeling it would do well just because, as you know, Nate is, I mean, he's such a force of nature. Yeah. Uh, so we really invested in him and we're thrilled uh, so far with the progress. Would, given that you invest so early stage, would you, if, if people say there's either you're making a, a TAM bet or a founder bet, where do you think you tend to fall on that spectrum? 100% founder bet, for sure. Um, it is so important, as you know, that the people you're investing in have any type of self-awareness, right? Like, uh, and it's really important to invest in people that they are so driven, they would do anything for their businesses. Um, we had a company actually put the entirety of their payroll on their credit card while they were waiting for a round to close. <laughs> yeah, I both, I, it's terrifying, but I, I also get that and love that. I've done not, not dissimilar things in my life. 
So um, I mean, you know, I haven't even taken a salary advice ventures yet. And uh, my husband actually, like, we had just been married when I started Vice Ventures, and he actually sold his apartment uh, so we'd be able to warehouse deals for Vice Ventures. So, like, I, I totally get where he's coming from. Yeah, we're on now that we're on fund three. I just started taking a salary. Um, oh, amazing! I want to tell now. Um, so let's let's stick with gambling. Um, gambling in the metaverse to me seems like it's just an unbelievable opportunity. Like of all of the different things, like, you know, in terms of alcohol and cannabis and ketamine, and everything else, you still have to consume it to experience it. Right. Whereas yes. gambling can just be completely transformed. And I think both for better and for worse. So I, I guess the alarm that I raised in that memo is if you are like a shitty riverboat casino in Indiana somewhere, or you're a state lottery where your products are like a lame scratch off or a pick six, and now all of a sudden the metaverse, at any time, day or night, you could be in the coolest casino in Macau or Vegas or Monte Carlo, you know, throwing craps, and you really feel like you're doing it. Um, why would anyone continue to use sort of the outdated forms of gaming? And if so, um, do you feel like those industries are, are in trouble? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think I think the transition to playing with with tokens instead of playing with cash, uh, I think that'll take a little longer than expected. Just because if you think of gambling in general, uh, it's so behavior based, right? Like people who love to gamble, they have the way that they like to gamble. They know exactly what they want to gamble, and they have uh, preconceived notions of success. So I think it will definitely have to be a new generation to adopt this type of technology. Otherwise, I think like, like, for example, like your riverboat example, right? Like how many people on that riverboat know what Web3 is or understand what blockchain right. is at all? But that uh, generation so, is going to die out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like, I think, I think the new generation will definitely be using gambling, uh, tokens to gamble. And I think you're right. I think it's a massive opportunity, but I think the biggest barrier to entry um, is just education and understanding exactly like why you'd want to use tokens instead of uh take like being in Vegas and being in the Bellagio and having to pay like a hundred dollars for your ATM fees. Right. Right. Um, yeah. yeah so I, I do think first. it will be huge, but I think it's a few years until that happens. Right. Like I think about my son Lyle, who's 13 and you know, he's plays way too many video games on PS five, but I watch him and they're unbelievably sophisticated games. What he's then going to go do a scratch off ticket at the bodega. Like there's no way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that is totally anecdotal, but uh, my father has been playing the lottery for 30 years. I mean, that I'm aware of, and I'm 29. Yeah. Um, and he uh, won the lottery. I mean, he won like $50. And he called me yesterday and he was like, oh, I won. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, my, my grandparents were like that also. They played every single day, but they are no longer with us. And I think that's sort of the combined with state totally. lotteries are particularly poorly run because they are government's trying to run a consumer products business in the gambling sector, which they just don't know how to do at all. No, they don't. What do you, I mean, like, like what, what's your take on gambling in the metaverse? I, mean, I, th I think it's going to be amazing. Like I, it seems to me that I, it will really wipe out potentially sectors of the gaming industry right now. And, you know, if I were state lotteries, I would be rethinking my value proposition entirely so that you don't get caught flat footed and then all of a sudden find yourself going the way of, you know, the payphone or whatever else. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that people will be able to have such great physical experiences without having to go anywhere that um, one, I think it will lead to more gambling overall. 
Two, I don't worry about places like Vegas because I think there's, you know, destinations are still destinations. Um, but like I think about, you know, we helped we build the casino or ran the politics for it uh, at Aqueduct in, um, in Queens. And I haven't been there in a little while, Resorts World. But, but when I was there, it was an elderly crowd, you know, and I, I yeah. think that they – Certainly, like that casino is unbelievably successful. I think it's the highest grossing slot facility in the world. Um, but I just don't see how that generation translates over to the metaverse or how a younger generation decides to stick with sort of putting, you know, dollars in a slot machine and, and pulling the lever. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're spot on there. I think you're like 100% correct. Um, and it'll be fascinating too to see how like the newer generations, uh, kind of play with token right like mm -hmm. i don't know I, I it'll be fascinating to see like will for, sure. for example take tokens like yeah. or if not i mean i i, I believe and I, i'm probably wrong because i usually am but that um cryptocurrency goes from being an asset class to an actual currency when the metaverse truly hits because then yeah. all of a sudden there will be tons of purchases that are completely digital and there's no reason that I'm actually they'll take all 2,500 different tokens or whatever there is at the moment. Um, but there's no reason that they're not going to take Bitcoin, Ethereum and Solana in the same way that they're taking, you know, Amex and Visa. Yeah, I think you're hundred percent correct. Um, and it, it'll be interesting too. Uh, because as you know, it's like the Bitcoin market in general or cryptocurrency market is just so incredibly volatile, volatile. So it'll be fascinating to see how they kind of take in that volatility uh, when paying for things in tokens. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to have to, right? Because otherwise, people aren't going to be able to. You, you can't you can't pay a dollar for coffee today and three dollars tomorrow and thirty cents the next day. Um, and taxation, obviously, we'll have to get figured out as well. Right now, they're trying to tax everything uh, as a capital gains, and like you can't pay taxes every time you buy a cup of coffee. Um, yeah. But ho hopefully we'll get to the right place on that. Um, let's turn to drugs. So both – I'm not sure that there's a huge future for drugs in the metaverse other than maybe you know easy, easier to obtain them in some way. But when you invest in, in drugs, um, you're really making a bet on societal kind of normative change and ultimate acceptance of things like you said, psychedelics, ketamine, MDMA, um, that right now are fringe but then become mainstream – what makes you confident that this whole new class of drugs will be legalized in a way that actually makes your investments really profitable? Yeah, so I think one of the most interesting parts about that question um, is drugs and Bitcoin in general. And if you kind of think about the earliest adoption um, in, for, for cryptocurrencies, it was the Silk Road, right? It was literally yeah. buying drugs illegally on the internet in a way that was untraceable to you um, through Tor. So when I think about that, I kind of think about the application in general, right? And I kind of think that we could, in fact, have another Silk Road, right? Um, in a way that's very different than it was then. Um, but I, I do think a lot of these drugs, I think you're right, I don't think there's a place for them in the metaverse, uh, but that doesn't mean that they will be uh, adopted in some type of other way that I would have no idea about. Right, but you see on psychedelics, you know, the... the it's interesting. So it, I kind of go back and forth on this, right? Well, one hand, I say, oh, the world is really shifting. You know, I just went through the whole mind bloom treatment and, and really 
felt good about it. Um, and oh, awesome. every, everyone that we know thinks psychedelics should be legal and everything else. And then I'm like, we live in this like bubble of all, you know, we live in New York City or Los Angeles or like these real bubbles that are not reflective of, of the culture as a whole. Um, do you think psychedelics ultimately gain acceptance faster than cannabis or slower or, um, or neither? I think slower for sure. Um, I think, I think cannabis is kind of going to be like better or worse, um, is going to be like the like regulatory example for psychedelics. Um, and I, I think we're decades away from seeing psychedelics, uh, legal, legal for recreation in terms of medical use. Um, I do see obviously that coming like relatively quickly. Um, but again, like we, like we don't invest in medicine in general at Vice Ventures just because I'm not a doctor and like, I don't think I'd be the best person to evaluate cycle 2e of the fda process right so then how um, do you how do you invest in a psychedelic company right now if you don't think it's going to be legal recreational for recreationally legal for you know a decade well the answer is that it's recreationally legal in other countries so uh, we invested in a company called guela and their first product uh was a psych it was a, a, a microdose yep. product um and they sell it they'll sell it in jamaica the uk and the netherlands uh, so we're very, very bullish on that. And then in the U.S., actually, they're launching a grow-your-own-mushrooms kit or psilocybin mushrooms uh, because I'm sure, as you know, it's legal to grow them and to look at them, and but it's illegal to dry them. <laughs> right. right. Um, so they're kind of taking advantage of uh, regula regulations around psychedelics there in the U.S., for sure. Let me give you the argument for why uh, our fund has not invested in cannabis, and you tell me if we're right or wrong. And it's certainly not an ideological opposition. I mean, I've, I've said publicly before, I think all drugs should be legal. So cl clearly, you know. That's why we're such good cannabis. friends. Exactly. Um, but um, here's the argument why we haven't so far, which is um, cannabis companies basically are all producing relatively similar products because it's, it's a retail consumer product market. Um, and therefore, A, that creates a race to the bottom. B, I'm not really sure once it gets removed from Schedule 1 why Unilever and Philip Morris and Kraft aren't just going to get into the game and squash everyone. And three, if you look at the valuations in sort of U.S. private cannabis companies compared to how cannabis companies are trading on the Canadian markets, it feels like the U.S. companies are wildly overvalued. And if you look at who a lot of the investors are in those deals – it tends to be family offices, which is sometimes synonymous for dumb money, right? Yep. Um, you go to you go to family offices because VCs won't actually put in money, and the family offices think, "Oh, it's the future. It's cannabis. I'm getting in early. This is great." Um, but to me, so far, we just never seen anything that really is exciting. Once you kind of go through all those rejections, so how do you get there in your head? You, so you are 100% accurate. We actually, when we started raising Fund One, everyone kept asking me if we were a cannabis fund. And similar to your thought, I didn't think investing in cannabis really made sense because the margins are razor thin. You don't have the tax advantages that you would have for other startups. You have to pay a ton of money in packaging because it has, has to be child resistant. Uh, and the laws are changing every other week, right? So that, that's, that's another reason like we, we haven't invested in cannabis. And I mentioned earlier that I wish I invested in this beverage. And I do and I don't because I know what the margins were because I looked at it and they were wholly unexciting. But then part of me also thinks that is it 
easier for a Philip Morris or an AB InBev to acquire uh, a really, really strong brand that's category defining. Um, but besides that, we haven't made any cannabis investments for basically all the reasons that you listed. I just don't think it makes any sense. Right. You would have to basically conclude that whatever this business is, it is just easier and better for Unilever to buy it than to build it themselves um, to see an exit. Because otherwise, I, I just I don't see the path. And even some of the like you kind of think, OK, well, maybe there's sort of software around cannabis compliance or whatever. And yeah, there's a little bit of it. But still, to me, like it, it has limited utility. It, you're 100% correct. It, it definitely has limited. Uh, I, I mean, it has limited everything, honestly. Like you, you look at how many people smoke or admit that they smoke cannabis or use cannabis. Uh, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was a lot smaller than I thought it was originally. And do you think that's because people aren't being honest or just because it's a smaller market than, than people realize? I, I think it's very generational. So I think Gen Z and millennials have no problem smoking a ton of weed. Um, and I, I just think like there was a whole, if you live through the seventies, right. Or the sixties, you either hate cannabis or you love cannabis. Um, and I, I just don't know how many people actually use it compared to how many people want it legalized. So, you know, you guys invest in alcohol companies, um, as well, but you know, if, if millennials and Gen Z are sort of very comfortable with cannabis, is that at the expense of alcohol purchases or is this just two generations that are getting fucked up more than anybody else? <laughs> I think everyone's definitely getting fucked up, but it, it's fascinating to me. I've seen, I'm sure you guys have also seen a ton of the quote, non-alcoholic spirits end quote. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting about that category in general is when they're fundraising, they always fundraise in February and March and they show, they're like, oh, look, we had so much growth in January. And it's like, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> it was right. dry January. Like, do you think I was born yesterday? Like, um, but anyway, yeah. So I, I think, I don't know, I'm not super, I think people drink regardless. Like, even if drinking is down overall, uh, I, I don't think it's going to be permanent. And like a great example is the state of Colorado. Once they legalized recreational cannabis, drinking fell, uh, fuck, I don't remember the exact number. I think it was 30%. Yeah. Uh, but then a few months later, drinking just recovered and people were just using cannabis and alcohol. So what's the, what are you looking for in an alcohol startup? Yeah. So actually, uh, we led the round about a year ago for a company called Deloche and it's a canned espresso martini business. And the reason why it was so exciting to me compared to every single hard seltzer or every single other canned beverage is that it was the first true, uh, naturally caffeinated cocktail in a can. Um, so the reason why we, why I'm telling you this is because then we're both playing a play on energy market on energy drinks. And then we're also making a play on RTD alcohol. So we look for something in alcohol that could easily, that the brand is so strong that you could easily attach a celebrity to it. Um, and then we look for an alcohol brand with high margins, um, and a lot of repeat purchase rates. Yeah. That, that all, that all makes sense. Is it, is it hard to get kind of accept in your head that these are tech companies in some way or like <laughs> how do you, cause question. you know, yeah. Um, that's a hilarious question. Um, yeah. So like, I, I don't consider them tech companies in general just because tech I think has like a much higher multiple than a lot of alcohol companies do, but a lot of alcohol companies exit a lot faster than some tech businesses would. Uh, so I, I think it's really like a different play on the market. 
Yeah, uh, there's, there's a clear path for liquidity. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I'm in, I'm in, space is so acquisitive. Yeah, I'm in some met, new Mezcal startup that a bunch of New York VCs got excited about. Um, and while I probably threw the money down the toilet, uh, there's a chance <laughs> that because uh, there is so much acquisition in the space, and they are making a really great product, by the way. Uh, Wait, which one is this? Uh, this is Agua Magica. Yes. Okay, cool. I thought that's what you were so, talking about. Of course, I from the time that I made the investment to the time they made the product, I stopped drinking. Um, so <laughs> I've never actually tried it. Uh, but but I do think it's it's really good. But you know, one of the reasons why was your point, it, it feels like it's a market with uh, decent liquidity, right? So you, yes, you, absolutely. You're not gonna be sitting there forever. So like say something like sex tech when you're looking at it. Um what are you looking for? And then when you think back about the metaverse again, you know, are you at all thinking about Web3 metaverse when you're making these investments or is it just too far away to even worry about? I think it's too far. Like, realistically, in my opinion, yeah. I'm, by the way, I'm no expert on this and I'm very much a tourist. Um, but I, I just think it's too early for it to kind of like think about sex tag and the metaverse. Um, and mostly just because they're still trying to get the visuals right for the experience. So like I do, I think it's going to be a few years. So um, what are examples of sex tech companies that you have found interesting? Yeah. So we invested in mod. Uh, and the reason why I got mm -hmm. so excited about that company is that uh, it's very much focused on sexual wellness and it's such a sleek, beautiful brand that it's truly gender neutral, uh, which is important because a ton of companies I see like really skew feminine right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think gender neutral is really, really smart. Um, and then we also were excited to invest in them uh, just because of their user base. It wasn't just Gen Z. It wasn't just millennials. They really have all ages and all walks of life as their customer. Uh, and the fact that they were able to pull in a 70-year-old and a 23-year-old, uh, I, I think that brand has massive staying power. What else uh, has excited you in that space? Or what are what are companies you've seen that you're like, this is just ridiculous? Oh, my God. That's a great question. Um I, I, I swear to you, I'm going to preface this that I'm not lying, but a few years ago, I got sent a deal. Well, they reached out um, and it's sex dolls. So it's like literally a plastic doll that's life size that self lubricates and the hair grows and each head is uh, it's built with machine learning and artificial intelligence. So they have personalities. So you can like talk to this like plastic doll that like you're having sex with and it's $6,000, and the average customer owns two of these dolls. And the most, uh, well, you, you need a variety in your, in your AI sex doll. <laughs> Monogamy yeah. is unreasonable in that situation. Oh my God, absolutely ridiculous. And <laughs> have they, are they still in business? They're still in business. Yeah. I went, I was so fascinated that when I was in San Francisco, I actually went and looked at the factory because I was like, I need to know what a sex doll looks like. Right. And why, like, as you're sitting sitting here talking about it, I'm thinking like, first, my initial instinct is like, God, that is so sad and pathetic for the people who actually buy this stuff. But on the flip side, maybe the answer is there are a lot of people out there who are lonely. Um, and yeah. if this in some way helps them feel more connected or less lonely, then that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And the number one reason that people purchase these um, was because, um, oh, yeah, because, because her spouse died. That's what we. That's what I found out. So it wasn't even just like people who like wanted to fulfill fantasies of fucking a doll. It was people who actually like had sorrow and loss, and like this actually made them feel a lot better about who they were. 
Okay. Uh, right. And so to me, that's amazing. Yeah. So there's some therapeutic value. So last question, you, you kind of mentioned the, the TBD category, and obviously by definition, it's stuff that you don't know about yet. But like, what in that category have you seen or speculated about that you think is exciting and kind of will become a new vice sector in, in the future? Yeah. Um, so I guess like one thing that for Fund One that fell under that category uh, which was a parade, which was a underwear business. And I passed mm-hmm. the first time, uh, cause I didn't think it was a vice. Uh, and then I kind of looked at the way that they were marketing and it was like very sex positive and very Reese. Uh, so that actually fit under the get to be known vices, uh, just because, I mean, after working for the Bonobos founder and like working at Walmart, I it was just so negative on apparel, like any, anything yeah, that was sure. apparel wise, I was like, this is, this is going to be a disaster. Um, so anyway, so I missed the seed round and we ended up coming in a little later, but that definitely fell under the TBD category. Yeah. Very cool. Catherine, how do people follow you on like social? Uh, just at Catherine Dockery. And if you're listening to this and you want to pitch me info at viceventures.com is uh, the best bet there. Yeah. And I would highly encourage people to do so. Um, just as, as someone who is an investor in vice ventures and really looks a lot of their deals. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic business. So Catherine, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. This is a blast as always. Yeah.